Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace, the co-founder of Divizio, the affiliate network for companies doing good. And we have got a fantastic show lined up for you today. I don't know what's going on with tech, but it's not letting me into the panel to unmute everybody. Um, yeah, bear with me. I'm trying to get in there. What the heck is going on? If you're in there, Andrea, if you want to unmute yourself and our guest, that would be fantastic. What I can tell you is that we have my executive producer and co-host, Andrea Adams-Miller, the founder of the Red Carpet Connection, joining us. And we have got a stellar guest for you guys today. Let's see if this is my internet connection instead of... There we go. Now it's working. I think I got you guys unmuted, Andrea. Oh, hello. Uh, hello, Andrea Adams-Miller here. <laughs> well, it's been really fun all over the world. The crazy things are happening, um, and I mean fun both realistically there's fun happening in the world. Unfortunately, a lot of the fun, um, if you guys could mute yourselves, because we have a lot of background noise right now, if you guys can mute yourselves. Um, we have uh, in the world, obviously, a lot going on. COVID's going on. There's riots going all over from the recent things that are going on in the world. And we want to make sure that we amplify your world. We want to help leverage what's going on in your world so that you can be thinking about positive things and make a positive impact so that you can overcome the challenges that are presented in front of you and really leverage yourself to the highest levels possible. And Gina, you were right about us having a great guest. Right now I'm getting a lot of really loud feedback uh, from someone's mic, so I don't know if both of you can um, mute yourselves while I read the bio. And I was already a little bit better. Ah, so it must be Michael's that's really. Can you um, mute his for a moment? Hey, everybody. I already kind of gave it away. His name is Michael, so now you all get to guess which Michael in the world could it be? Which Michael? Which Michael? Well, it's Michael Mann, and he has been in the entertainment industry since age five. As a young child, Michael entered the business as a model, which led him to become one of the pioneers in live television. <laughs> I need to interrupt the bio here. One of our guests is making, or one of our production assistants is making a lot of noise in the background, and they have a really good mic that's picking up everything, which I am so glad that they do. And we're just going to muddle through here, but I wanted to make sure our audience listeners have an ease on their ears because that was really super loud. So let me start over. We have Michael Mann with us. He has been in the entertainment industry since age five. As a young child, Michael entered the business as a model, which led him to become one of the pioneers in live television. In 1975, he moved to Los Angeles to continue his acting career, and he worked with many notable actors, Carol O'Connor, Billy Crystal, Rob Reiner, Penny Marshall, Burt Reynolds, Clint Eastwood, Danny DeVito, and in 78, he formed Michael Mann Management, a theatrical management company representing actors, writers, directors, production designers, and directors of photography. And in 81, he produced Come Blow Your Horn, starring Elliot Gold at the Huntington Hartford Theater in L.A., and then he returned to New York in 1994, producing two Broadway plays, Boychuk 
at the theater and Innocent Flesh at the Actors Temple. And in 2010, he relocated to Atlanta to produce a feature film entitled On Smoother Dirt. It's the life of the great Chicago Cubs icon, Ernie Banks. And then we'll produce a two-hour pilot episode of a new series in Dublin, Ireland. The remaining episodes will be shot in, in, um, in Atlanta, as will the Odyssey of Bobby Summers. So we'll hear more about that, too. And it's the greatest productions of his life um, have been his six children and his 12 grandchildren. I am so excited to have Michael here with us. He's done some really cool stuff. Michael, yay! Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Michael, can you Hello. hear us? Hi, Michael. Welcome to this programming. Thank you, Andrea. Can you hear me okay? Everybody hear me okay? We can. We, you know, sometimes Excellent. we just have to deal with the technologies of the world. We're very fortunate that we can still be on today. Yesterday, because of the riots going on in different areas, the Internet was completely wiped out in a mass system area, and multiple people wow. that I knew that were on programming had to shut down. So I am fortunate today, and I know our audience is that we get to listen to you and hear about you. So, you know, one of the things people don't realize, you know, I said that you uh, were in the the entertainment industry and you worked with these people on live television but it doesn't reveal actually what they might recognize you from so would you share about that like who who what programming were you on that people might go oh my gosh i know who he is now well um i think the things that i will probably probably be most recognized for is i did six all in the families the first one i did was in 1975 um, and it was Billy Crystal's first episode on the show. And I played the minister who married Billy uh, at Rob and Sally's home on New Year's Eve. That was the first of six all, uh, six all in the Families I did. The following year, I did a vasectomy on Rob Reiner. And then the third year, the third character I played the following year was a rabbi when they found out that Stephanie was Jewish and Archie and Edith come to see me because Archie can't believe she's Jewish. And then I became the resident rabbi when the show became Archie Bunker's Place. That's probably the most recognizable, um, numerous characters I played. And then uh, in my film uh, package, I was in the original movie of Smoking and the Bandit um, in 1976. So, so let's go back to All in the Family. So um, actually, that's really pertinent to like what's going on in the world. I, was, I remember watching that show growing up. And so here we have Archie Bunker, who's set in his ways. <clears throat> you know, he's uh, very um, condescending and demeaning to uh, Edith and to his family members and to his son-in-law. And uh, obviously, he had... Um, some uh, discomfort with race, you know, so what was it like to be on a controversial show like that? Well, it was a real trendsetter. Um, they, they broke through barriers on that show that had never been addressed before in, in that medium. And uh, it was very, uh, it was extraordinary. And um, it was a pleasure to be on the show. And I, I feel that all three subjects that were, were uh, dealt with, um, were very important. For instance, on the vasectomy show, when Sally sends him off and calling him a, ble- calling him a bleeding heart liberal because he won't get a vasectomy and he won't bring any more children in the world. Um, when the show was written and we all sat around the table, at the end, um, the producers felt that um, they copped out because at the end he went to get the vasectomy and didn't get it. And they said, no, you can't do that. And then when uh, the show aired after we did it, where he did get the vasectomy, um, I think over 2,000 vasectomies were reported within the next month or so. It was crazy. crazy. So a lot of influence, a lot of influence um, the show had on America and, and around the world. Yeah, it, it is pretty interesting. Uh, what, what would you think would happen if that show were to be airing nowadays with what's going on in the world? <laughs> Well, it's still airing it, so you can find it all over the place on, on YouTube and stuff. Um, I, I think it would be a different kind of show now. I think there would be shows that are, that are dealing with the situations a little differently now. The thing that was, that was interesting about Owen and the Family is that they could make a very big political point and a social point, but then they could disarm you with great laughter, and it was a great combination of seriousness and comedy that really made it probably one of the greatest shows ever on television. 
there was an episode I remember that I wasn't on um, called, called Edith's Surprise Party, and it was a, um, a two-parter, a two-hour, or uh, two half-hours, and uh, it was basically Edith, Archie had agreed to have a, a surprise party for Edith's, I guess, Edith's 50th, I can't remember, birthday, and they gathered everybody over at Sally and, and Rob's um, home, and she was home alone, and she, a doorbell rings, and um, an actor named David Duke, may he, uh, rest in peace, a uh, wonderful actor, comes in posing as a policeman. And he says he's there to in, in question her. And the next thing you know, he's trying to rape her. And, uh, you know, Edith, Edith, of all people, right? Wow. So he actually, he actually starts to, to attempt to rape her. And just as he's starting to, she becomes Edith again. And he goes, oh, my God, what, what have I gotten myself into? And he jumps up and she runs out the door to um, Sally and, and Rob's apartment and opens the door and everybody's yelling, surprise, it was a birthday party for her. So they were able to deal with something that important and then disarm you with, with, with humor. It was amazing. Wow. So uh, quite mm. interesting in writing. Um, yeah. Archie, as a real person, what, what was he uh, like for real? Because, you know, so many times people take an actor and that's who they think they are in real life. Was he anything like his character or was he really just a really great actor? Carol O'Connor, in all my years of, in the business, and as I said, I've been in the business all my life, and I put him in a handful of people who are one of the nicest, generous, decent human beings I ever met in my life. Couldn't, couldn't be further from the character he played on the show. Sincere, intelligent, caring, uh, really, truly a real gentleman. I really it was it's an honor to work with him. Well, I'm, I'm so and glad I, to hear that. And Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And I had worked with Gene Stapleton earlier on in my career as a child actor. I was in the original company of Damn Yankees on Broadway. And so I knew Gene from, uh, from those days as well. So um, I, it was a real connection for me with Gene. We go back to when I was a kid, and she was stage managing a, a show I was doing for the American Theater Wing, which she slept me on the subway. And we go do these shows at uh, – at children's school, I was must have been eight or nine years old. So Gene and I had a real history together. It was great. Yeah, that 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 is super fun. I uh, I had told you before when we talked that I did a community theater production of Damn Yankees, and um, <laughs> absolutely love the show and. Um, uh, the choreography they did for our guys in the ball field, you know, was super fun. And I had to yeah. fill in for one of them for a space one night. And so I had to learn the whole dance. Um, so that way everybody could have, you know, placement correctly for a choreography and to do oh, the great. hitch kicks was so hard, but yeah, I, I, I love <laughs> that you were in, in that show. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a great show. I love damn Yankees. And, and then, um, so, I didn't, I didn't open in it because my voice changed. Uh, I was one of the Joe yeah. Hardy fan club, and, and I couldn't sing the top harmony anymore. So I didn't open in the show, but I was definitely part of it when we rehearsed it. And then um, just, you know, then I, Gene and I hooked up later on in life. Yeah, that, that is fantastic. And, and how was that, you know, to have been given a role for a show and then – and then to be rejected because you went through puberty, <laughs> you know, and, and although it wasn't personal to you, it probably felt really personal to you. Well, well at 12, 12 or 13 years old, uh, you know, I was hired and sang for and was hired by the great director, George Abbott, one of the greats in Broadway history. So obviously I was good enough to get the part over. I God knows how many thousands of kids. And when, when we reached rehearsal, I just couldn't sing, you know, the time span from when I got hired till we were you know, getting ready to open, you know, out of, you know, out of town. Um, I just couldn't sing the harmony anymore. I couldn't sing the top. And so my understudy um, replaced me, uh, who was my understudy also in another series, another play I did on Broadway with Betty Davis in, uh, a few years earlier. So um, it bothered me a great deal because as a kid, you're vulnerable anyway. And I'm in a business, you know, surrounded by competition, but it bothered me. But um, I got through it, and um, I went on to do some wonderful things after that too. But 
at the time it bothered me, but not now. I looked at it as a, as a growing experience. So for some reason, the only song I can think of is, you got to have heart, miles and miles That's and miles correct. of heart. Exactly. That's what we used to sing. Uh, Gene say, okay, boys, let's sing, let's sing. And we'd all go, you got to have heart. We'd all have to sing. It was, it was the Joe Hardy fan club. We're singing the same song that the ballplayers were singing in the dugout, you know. Great song. Oh, fun. Song. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So um, so then after theater and you were doing all those other things where you said you'd be on the subway and going different places, then what, how did things change for you then? then what, what happened for you and, how, and what, what occurred for you differently then after that? How did the well, transition I go? Do, I, well, I, I kept working. I went to a school called the Professional Children's School which was a school that was founded in 1913 for children of, of, of performers uh, like burlesque and vaudeville and radio and where they had to be on the road all the time. Milton Berle went to that school because he traveled. And uh, it was a school for performing uh, people, either children of people who were on the road or performing or actual performers in all the, uh, in all the performing arts. It wasn't, a school like performing arts where you went to learn drama or dance. This was a school set up specifically so you could be on the road uh, or wherever and get your, still get your work in and um, not have to be in school. So I went to that school all my life and my lifelong friends from that. As a matter of fact, one of my dearest friends um, today would have been um, his birthday and uh, I miss him dearly was the great, great uh, lyricist and composer Marvin Hamlish. Today would have been Marvin's mm. birthday, and I knew Marvin since he was 10 or 11 years old. So and, and, what, and, and what kind of music did he compose uh, so that people, we can help the audience identify with what, what he was part of again? Well, he wrote The Way We Were. He wrote uh, Chorus Line. He wrote wow. uh, The Sting. And he's a, you know, he started out his first, successful song when he was a young boy um, was for Leslie Gore, a song called Sunshine, Lollipops, and Rainbows. That was his first kind of pop song. And, um, but I knew he was writing songs when he was 10, 11 years old from my classmate, a wonderful um, African-American uh, young man named Josh White Jr., whose father, Josh White Sr., was the greatest folk singer that ever lived in Marvin was writing songs for, for Josh, my classmate, when we, he was 10, 11, 12 years old. So um, those are the kind, that's where I grew up. That was my home, my playground, and uh, I still have lifelong friends from that experience that I'm very close to right now who are still with us. Yeah. Know? So that, that kind of made it, yeah, it was like a very special place. And uh, yeah. I, I went all, all through high school there. It was fantastic. Yeah, that that that's just it's a beautiful, you know, memory. And I recognize his name, but I I I'm not always the best at com- putting together names with the name of the t- the title of a song. Like sometimes I know lyrics of songs, but I don't know the title. Right. So thank you for reminding me and our audience that you know, like because when you hear oh the way we were oh gee gee many Christmas yeah. you know what an impact yeah, he Marvin, made in the world with Marvin that song. Actually, I was in California uh, in 1972. I'd gone out to re-pursue my acting, and um, Marvin was out there working, and he was renting an apartment there, <clears throat> and I went over, and he, uh, in his apartment, said, hey, Mike, I want you to hear this job I just got. I just beat Michelle Legrand out for the score, and he said, there's no lyricist even put on it yet, and he played for me for the first time ever the melody to the way we were. And I said, this is it, Marv. This is it, kiddo. This is the one. Sure enough, it was. How fun for, you know, what what a great memory for you to be able to have and to share and and to be privy to, you know, history and have, you know, something behind the scenes like that happening in your world. And to me, that just is so exciting. Um, You know, like... the only the only kind of cool things that I can reference is um, Frank Shankwitz. Uh, he's the the founder of the Make a Wish Foundation. When he 
uh, they have a movie that came out about him last year called Wish Man. And we uh, took his story for the Keep Smiling movement, similar to what we're doing with you, Michael, is, you know, we took your story and, and we're writing it for the Keep Smiling movement for you to co-author one of the books. And doing Frank's story, I already knew the backstory. So then when we watched the film and I see the story, you know, happening on the film, I was so excited because there were things I knew that, that um, they adjusted and made different uh, for on the screen, different than the real story. And, and being a part yeah. of that was really exciting. So that's my only comparison, which, you know, so <laughs> but the idea of you being behind and knowing and like hearing the way we were for the first time and then having, you know, the, you know, who sang it and who did it, you know, just blows me away. That, that's super, yeah, super exciting. Yeah, I have a lot, of, a lot of stories like that that we'll talk about for the ebook about people I encountered and worked with because I worked with some real giants in the business and just personal anecdotes about who they were. I played Perry Como's son. Uh, Perry uh, Como has, has three children, uh, two boys yeah. and a girl, and in the 50s, and he never wanted his children, even back then, to be exposed on television. So they hired three actors to play um, his two kids. And I got to play, uh, I got to play David's uh, Perry's son. On television. <laughs> cool. So Perry, you know, things like that, silly stuff, but uh, he was very protective of his family, even back then. So they hired three actors and nobody ever said a word. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So what was it like to play his son? Well, Perry Como is in that list of one of the most human, sweet, decent human beings I ever met in my life. He was very, very, very gentle, very calm, and uh, it was great. You know, it's not, I'm, not, I'm the only person in the world who can say I played David Como. You know, even David Como. Yeah. He was. So I never actually met the kids. I never actually met the kids. No, because they never came around. But, uh, uh, I mean, he'd remember who I was, obviously, because I played him. And I was probably around oh, 13 or 14 years old. Okay, so this is going to sound really funny, but I yes. actually have a story that can go with that. My ex-husband, really? who is now living with me again, dated Melanie Como, who is David's daughter, for oh, many, many years. And we just oh talked to Melanie goodness. like two days ago on the telephone. <laughs> well, when, when you talk to da- is David still alive, I hope, and Ronnie, her, her, he her yeah. uncle? Good. Well, Correct. please send my best regards back and ask him if they remember, if David remembers um, growing up watching me play him on TV with his dad. I will definitely have to do that for you, Michael. Isn't what that small, too funny? What a small, what a small world. world. Small world. I actually have a picture of me uh, with David uh, playing David with uh, the two other cho- two other actors who played his other children. Um, um, let's see, it was uh, Beverly Beverly Lunsford played his daughter, and uh, Bobby Galley played his other brother. I actually have a picture of the four of us, which maybe we'll put in the ebook, um, Andrea. Yeah. That would be a great Fantastic. thing to do. Yeah, I have some wonderful yeah. pictures from from the. I was very blessed that my mom made sure that we got stills of a lot of things I did. So I have a tremendous amount of stuff from my youth. Oh, it sounds fun. Uh, yeah, the, those are the kind of things that people just really enjoy and uh, that love the historical reference to them and takes them back into their life. And then now because television is um, featuring shows from the past and so forth, we get to see things that we thought we'd never get to see, you know, again. And, and I know uh, like different shows like MeTV and so forth and, you know, how these different shows pop up and we can, uh, you know, see things that our parents and grandparents um, were in and things when you were a little boy and so forth. And, and, and I think that's just really fun because it gives us a chance to look back at an era where uh, things were looked at different, values were different, time and family were set up differently, and, and just gives us a chance to explore um, how people lived. And so I love that. It's good, so, it's good. me too. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, so all that was happening, and then you make this – to me, it seems sudden, a sudden leap, a switch into management. 
And and so what well, led you to do that? And how how old were you when you switched over? Well, there was a there was an interim chunk of time which we haven't discussed yet. If you have time, I can give you a brief a thumbnail sketch. Sure. Uh, after high school, my parents were divorced, and I was kind of a um, I would say precocious but nice young man who thought the world revolved around me. And my aunts and uncles on my mother's side, my parents were divorced, uh, thought that I needed some discipline in my life because I was basically in charge. So they had a big meeting, family meeting, and said, Michael, uh, you need to go into the military at 17 and a half years old, 1959. And I sat there thinking, what's going on here, whatever. And they said, pick pick one to go to. And naively, I picked the Navy because I didn't want to be in the Army, and I didn't know if I wanted to fly or not. And uh, so I went into the Navy. So I was in the Navy from June of 59 till the first week in February of 63. So I was, my, my 18th, 19th, and 20th birthday, I spent in the Navy. So when I got out uh, the day before my 21st birthday in 63, I kind of came back to the world and had to figure out what I was going to, you know, do with myself. So I went back into the business and started working back in television, called some people who were my agents. I did an episode, a couple of episodes of Secret Storm, where I played a dope dealer with a young actor who was just getting started named Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin and I did a couple of episodes together. And then uh, I kind of worked my way back into it and then fell into, because of a friend of mine who was an investor in a thing called discotheques, which were just coming to be in the 60s, in the early to mid-60s in New York. And um, I wound up running one of the most famous discotheques in New York and got segued away from the bar business. I mean, from the uh, from show business, I wound up owning my own little club. And uh, it was wild. It was pretty wild. And then one day, um, my dear friend Marvin Hamlish wrote a play called The Chorus Line. And uh, I went to see the first Frozen production. Do you know what? That means when you say a show is frozen, uh, Andrea, in, in theater? I, you know what? I am a theater buff, and yet I've never heard that. And so now I'm like, oh, you've stumped me. Well, what it is is when, when you're in rehearsal or you're out of town, you're trying out, you pull a song, you put a song in, you move a song around or you cut it, and then at one point you do a performance and it's locked. That's it. That's it. This is the show we're taking opening opening with. And it's, it's called Freezing the Show. And I saw the first Frozen production matinee of Chorus Line downtown before the world saw it. And I saw that <laughs> and said to myself, what am I doing in the saloon business? You know, people holding up there, who am I? Am I my resume? And I said, what am I doing in, what am I doing in, uh, in, the, in the bar business? I've been in show business all my life except for three and a half, four or five years. So I made a decision to... Um, go to uh, California, and I did, and I went out there and wound up doing a play called Mr. Roberts that the great television director, James Burroughs, who created Cheers and Will and Grace and everything, um, directed me in, and uh, then I moved out to California in 75, and that's when I started doing all those television shows, and then one day I decided that um, I couldn't get the proper representation I wanted, and I decided to start representing um, um, clients and becoming a manager. And my first client was a girl who went to PCS with me. Her name was Melinda Plank, and she was a classmate of mine. She was a soloist with the American Ballet Theater and had hurt herself and went into acting and was very successful uh, on a soap opera. And I ran into her and her husband, and she said, manage me. And I produced a play, and next thing you know um, – in, this, in November 1st, 1975, I opened Michael Mann Management and did that for 43 years. Never wow. looked back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, fun. it's funny because, you know, um, I, I, in some ways I can relate to what you're talking about because I, I'm a speaker and I go on stage and I, I was on like CNN in 2020 early in my career and then now I'm a publicist so now I'm promoting other people and getting them on stage and getting them on right. radio and television shows and and so 
um, and, and I still do, um, still do get on stage and I still do theater and stuff like that um, as I can filter it in. But having that flip-flop, it is really, I can imagine, um, and, and tell me if, if this is true, that so for me, I, I, I just get really excited about seeing other people's success and, and lifting them so high. Is, is that the same kind of excitement you get? It's like, you know, raising this wonderful person up to do their own thing, you know? Exactly. Uh, for me, it was, uh, if I wasn't going to be in the room, I wanted to put you in the room and be very involved in, in how it went. And since I had had all the training and I'd been in hundreds and hundreds of different auditions and on, um, I can't remember how many stages and sets I felt. And I was, that was an asset that people came to me for because they knew I'd been an actor all my life. I'd also directed a few plays and written a screenplay. So they, they were very comfortable having me represent them because I had been in action and knew exactly what was going on. Either people whose careers I was rebuilding or brand new kids, you know, who just got out of school or just come to LA. So it was very, very rewarding for me. Very rewarding. So uh, give us some stories of like, you know, who are some people that you represented and what are some things that happened that you maybe didn't expect to happen and, and came about and ended up being, you know, icons in history for us as far as the, uh, the theater. Or, well, I guess as far as film and television and theater. <laughs> well, I, I, you probably have a list of, I mean, I've represented thousands of people since 1975 till I closed my company two years ago to move to Atlanta to, to produce. But um, I would think that the names that you would probably know best would be a wonderful um, uh, number one Native American actor in the world named Wes Studi. Wes starred star in um, Last of the Mohicans, and uh, he starred in um, Geronimo and Avatar, and he just won an honorary Academy Award last year. So Wes was a client of mine when Native American actors couldn't get any jobs. So he was married, is married to a woman named Maura Du, D-H-U, and her dad was the late, great Jack Albertson. I don't know if your, your listening audience will remember who Jack Albertson was, but Jack Albertson was the grandfather in Willy Wonka, and he, owned, he was on a show on television in the 70s called, um, uh, what was it, with uh, Freddie Prince. Um, well, just went out of my head. Chico and the Man. Chico and the Man. Chico, I was say Chico so Jack, and the Man. I, I recognize him. Right. Yeah. So Jack, Jack, Jack's daughter, Mara, was married to Wes, and she brought him to me because I had worked with Jack Albertson in 1956 when I was brought out to California to do a TV show. So I cl- remained close with Jack. Jack brought Wes to me. He was in a movie called Powwow Highway. Uh, and then right after that, he was in Dances with Wolves, but he couldn't really get a lot of work because he would only be typecast as a Native American. So um, mm. my, my namesake, um, my namesake Michael Mann, the director, the wonderful director, um, hired him for Last of the Mohicans to play Magua, and uh, I went over and looked at the material. Michael showed me some of his footage before it was cut, and I went into business with Wes and uh, we did very well together, very well together. Yeah, I definitely recognize him. Yeah. A woman I represented for many years. Again, I represented Wes by myself. There was nobody else. It was me and a publicist mm. and um, because agents weren't interested then in representing a Native American actor. Things have all changed now. So our success was Wes's talent and my perseverance, and we did very well together. Uh, another uh, person you wouldn't maybe know by name, but who was a client of mine for over 20-some-odd years, is an actress named Leslie Easterbrook. Leslie um, is most well-known for six of the seven Police Academy movies that she starred in, and she was also on Laverne and Shirley as Rhonda for many years. So Leslie and I were together for 20-some-odd years. Oh, my um, gosh. Repet- yeah, Rhonda. Yeah. yeah, big tall blonde. Yeah, Leslie, wonderful. Yeah. Um, I represented Molly Shannon for a very, very short period of time because nobody would know what to do with Molly Shannon before Saturday Night Live came along. I represented Rachel Dratch. I represented uh, Christopher Atkins. Atkins, excuse me. Um, um, a, a lot of people that you probably have on the list that I 
don't have in front of me, but, uh, you know, after thousands of years, we were very successful. I did very well. I'm very happy. Yeah. So, so just for our listening audience, because not everybody recognizes names with, you know, characters and so forth. So Molly Shannon is from Saturday Night Live. So you guys might know her from, she's done multiple films as well. And some of her funny skit bits were the, was the girl who'd get nervous and stick her fingers in her armpits and then smell her hands, Uh, you know, and and funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so she did all those uh, funny funny things. And then uh, what what was the name that you mentioned after that? Rachel Dratch, who was also on on um, on, on um, Saturday Night Live years later, a little cute little short little girl, very very funny. She worked with Will Ferrell a lot. But most of the other people, <coughs> excuse me, who I worked with were very prominent in um, in television. Martin Cove, who was in the um, in the um, Karate Kid movies, um, Lou Gossett Jr. is a client of mine um, who won the Academy Award for um, Office of the Gentleman and, and Emmys for Roots. Um, a lot of people, I, I don't have them in front of me, but if you have a list, you're welcome to rattle a few off and I can tell you about them. But it was an sure, amazing, I would love. amazing journey. Amazing journey. So, what is the story that you remember the most that, like, like you were surprised, like you didn't know that that was going to happen or the movie was going to be that big or, you know, that it was going to be such a takeoff. What, what sticks out to you? As, as something that was a, a good surprise? Um, good or bad, you can go either direction. <laughs> well, I, I met a young girl, um, a, a, a wonderful agent, uh, called me one day <clears throat> No names need to be spent here, but um, she was an agent at a big agency, and she had come over from another agency and said that they weren't allowed to bring that client with them, and she said, this is somebody you should know. So I said, look, if you think she's that good, I'll meet her. She came into my office. She hadn't worked in about six months, and I just thought she was really funny. She'd done a couple of little episodes, an episode of Cheers, a Remington Steel, a couple of things, but nothing substantial. She, oh, yeah, she, I'm sorry. She had done the pilot of um, the very, um, oh, my goodness, I'm getting old, the Barry Levinson um, Diner. She had done the pilot of Diner, which never got made. So we sat together and chatted, and I said, you're great. Let's go to work. She said, I'm with this agency, but they're doing nothing for me. And I said, well, let's begin. Let's begin. And um, – I started working with her, and at that point, I'd had very good relationships, <clears throat> excuse me, with casting directors because I was an actor before that. So there were most of the casting directors who were just beginning their careers, I had either worked for or been in to see and were very helpful when I called them about meeting clients of mine. So there was a casting director named Sally Dennison who had cast me in a small role I did in a movie called The China Syndrome. And uh, Sally was casting a new series uh, at the beginning of when the Fox Network was actually beginning. The Fox Network, for all the people who are listening who are old enough to remember, was the fourth network. It didn't exist until, I don't know, 30 years ago. And um, they only had one night of programming to start, and there were only four shows on that night on a Sunday. One was Married with Children. The other was 21 Jump Street. The other was the Tracy Ullman show, and the other one was this this show that um, Sally was casting. And um, so I called Sally. They were doing 13 episodes, and there was a recurring role on on of this woman who was a studio exec. And um, I called Sally. I said, "Listen, I've just taken on this fantastic actress named Allison Laplaca," and I said, "Allison is brilliant, and you should bring her in." She said. No, she's not right for this, Mike. She's not right for this. I said, Sally. She said, I've, I've seen her before, and she's got too much of an edge. She's not right. I said, well, Sally, that's not who she is. Did you ever think that she might have just come in as that character? Why don't you bring her in to read her? So they brought her in, and, of course, she got the part. It was two episodes of 13. And I went over to the run-through, and David Steinberg, the actor-director, was directing, and he called me aside because I knew him. He said, Mike. 
this is the next Mary Tyler Moore. She's brilliant. They went crazy for her. So long story short, they made a deal for her. She wound up being the star of the show. They spun her off to a show called Open House, which was Ellen DeGeneres' first TV show. And uh, yeah. then she wound up starring with she wound up starring on a show with John Larroquette. And uh, we had an incredible run. And every time we wanted something to get better, they would call me. I didn't have to call them to make it better. So Alison LeBach was truly best feather in my cap, I think, as far as success from nowhere, completely nowhere. Yeah, that that's pretty amazing. She, she ended up doing Friends for a long time, too, didn't oh, she? Oh, yeah. She played, yeah, she played <laughs> – she played um, Jennifer's boss, and then she yeah, got hit by, for, a, for like hit by a car. like 10 years killed, or right? something. Oh, they killed no, her. not that long. <laughs> no, she oh. got killed in a car. She was on her way back from a meeting. She got hit in a taxi or something. But she was on Friends, correct, and then she did the pilot of Big, uh, of the movie, but never got on the air. And then she did the Lara Kitt show for a couple of seasons, and, and she just worked a great deal, and she was uh, – one of my favorite people still is one of my favorite oh, people. Oh, so she she actually was. I thought you were saying they killed her off in Friends. You're saying she actually was killed. No, and, no, no, no. Um, they killed her off on the show. Oh, no. They killed her off on the show. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad to hear that because oh, no, I'm like, no, wait no. a minute. <laughs> okay. No, All right, good. No, no, no. Well, she's I'm alive and well. I'm glad to hear well. she's safe, alive and well. No, I'm, I'm so, glad to hear she's so alive those, and well. Yeah, I recognize her the, a lot. Yeah, those are the kind of stories that give me as an ex, you know, ex-actor – real joy to take somebody, put them in a room and have it explode, not just to get that part, but to spin her off into her own series. Um, you know, it was very fantastic, really fantastic. That is very fantastic. So we should probably mention um, Don Most, who played <laughs> Ralph Malf uh, on Happy Days. <laughs> Correct. And, uh, and so... I worked with Donnie. Donnie was a client of mine for years and years after Happy Days. Remember, I didn't start the management company until 75, and Happy Days was already up and running, and Donnie was off doing what he was doing. And Henry and, and, and Ronnie were all, you know, they were all working. So I didn't come. Donnie and I started working together about in the early 90s. Lovely man, doing very well right now. He's also a very talented singer and a good golfer. We played a lot of golf together. Oh, fun. Yeah, I, I remember his, uh, their singing. I loved, I, you know, it's fun for me talking to you because all the things that you're talking about is all the television program uh, that we watch. So I was a only child, a lonely child, and besides books, there was TV because there wasn't kids in my neighborhood. And so we consumed a lot of television. The television was on all the time and so yep. um i do remember what <laughs> you know these things and and watching all of these things on fox and so forth like what you mentioned which i had to laugh when you listed off the first three shows of fox i was like oh my gosh those are my three favorite television shows so apparently uh whatever who was picking the shows for fox definitely fit the genre of um shows that i enjoyed <laughs> yeah. I, and i love tracy Allman because i love variety right. Well, 21 Jump Street was where Johnny Depp started. Yeah, yes, definitely Johnny remember that one. And then Tracy Ullman's show, uh, which was brilliant, is where The Simpsons came through. That was a sketch they did on, uh, an animated uh-huh. sketch they did on Tracy Ullman. And then the, the Simpsons came out of that. And look at it, it's still <laughs> uh, still watched. In fact, in my home... Um, my husband loves The Simpsons so much. Um, he, my husband owns a pinball and video game business. And so we oh, cool. own um, the uh, older first model of the um, Simpsons game, uh, the pinball machine. And then we own the new one. And then he had all the things decked out. So it has all the top LED lights and all the everything in it. It's definitely oh, wow. a collector's cool. item. And then for oh, cool. Christmas one year, I heard that they had a Ren and Stimpy television. It's a little pink television that you could buy separately and incorporate that into your pinball machine that plays 50 episodes of Ren and Stimpy. And um, oh, I bought goodness. this. It, it's, it's literally like two inches by two inches. It's this tiny little <laughs> box television that cost me $250 inside of a pinball wow. machine. <laughs> Wow. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. So, yeah. And yeah, in our house, you're not allowed to speak to Tom between eight and eight thirty. The Simpsons. Are 
So, Gina, so Gina, yeah, that's why exciting. Is, why, is Gina being, why is Gina being so quiet here? She only told me about Barry Como's granddaughter. I, I, Gina, I know. Do you have any questions? I don't yes, have any please. great stories to share. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you have any questions? Do you have any questions you want to ask? I don't know how much more time. So of have, all but, the shows so. that of all the people that you've been a part of their lives and, and their careers, who is your favorite and why? My favorite person? Yep. Your favorite client. Besides and me. Why? You know, besides me. No, cli- <laughs> client or, or client client or someone client. I worked with as an actor. Client. Ooh, I'll so take either one. Well, let me, I'd rather not pick a client because I had thousands of them and a lot of them helped me put my kids through school. So I think if I picked one, that would be unfair to the other 35 who I loved. And I, you know, I mean, some people came through my doors that were incredible. Uh, But I'd rather pick someone, pick a couple of people who I worked with growing up that I loved. The first one is a name you'll never know unless there are people who are really theater buffs who grew up in New York um, and his name was David Burns or Davy Burns as we would call him. Um, I worked with Davy first in 1951, if you can count back that far, the ancient years, on a, in a musical review on Broadway called Two's Company where Betty Davis starred on Broadway singing, if you can imagine Betty Davis singing on Broadway. And Davy and I did a sketch together that was absolutely brilliant. I worked with Davey there. I then worked with him on uh, another show on Broadway called Hole in the Head with Paul Douglas and Lee Grant. And then we did the sketch in L.A. on on the NBC Comedy Hour. So Davey Burns, to me, um, was the funniest. He he starred as Horace Vandegelder in Hello, Dolly. He was the original with Carol Channing. I was at the opening night of Hello, Dolly, the original opening night of Hello, Dolly, and um, so Davey did that. He was also one of the stars of uh, Funny Thing Happened in the Way of the Form. So I would say of all the people I worked with in my life, one who I loved and who just made me laugh and who I hung out with most was Davey Burns or David Burns, if anybody want to look him up. Look him up. Uh, after that, I would have to say my two equal favorites uh, were Jimmy Durante and Ernie Kovacs. I had the opportunity to work with Jimmy on the NBC comedy, excuse me, on the, yeah, the NBC comedy hour, Colgate comedy hour. And then I worked with Ernie Kovacs on his morning show and his evening show. And we did a sketch together called Mr. Science, which was a spoof and parody on a show called Mr. Wizard when I was growing up. So those three, and then of course, Perry Como, were just the, the nicest human beings I ever worked with in my life. And Jean and Jean Stapleton. I can't leave Jean out. But there's so many. Did you ever have a chance Those to are... do anything with Bob Hope? No, I never worked with Bob, and actually even never met him. It's one of the few people I could say I never met, but I I, I did not. I did not. I was in. You remember? I must understand. I was in New York until you know, I didn't move to California until '75. So most of the people I'm telling you about were all kind of. New York-based people. It's only after I moved to California that I got to meet some of the other people I worked with, like Kelly Savalas and Penny Marshall and uh, Carol O'Connor and uh, um, whoever else I worked with on television. And what capacity? Um, Sorry? In what capacity did you work with Penny? Well, first I worked as an actor on... on, um, Laverne Shirley. I did two episodes of Laverne and Shirley. Um, and then I wound up um, the last two years before she passed away representing her as a director and actress. I also worked with Judd Hirsch on Taxi. I did three taxis. And then I represented Judd for years as an actor as well. Uh, Gina, what were you going to ask me? I'm sorry. What I was going to say is the only other story I have about actors and actresses and people from that area is uh, Bob Hope. My, one of my great aunts, my dad's aunt, actually went to school in Cleveland with Bob Hope. And she sat right behind him in school. This was grade school. 
and she used to wear pigtails, and she used to tell us stories about how Bob Hope used to take her pigtails and dunk them in the inkwell every day at school. And she had the most incredible stories about Bob Hope. She would tell us how how much he was very much like the Bob Hope you'd see on TV, even as a youngster in school. A lot of people don't know um, that Bob Hope was majority or minority owner of the Cleveland Indians. And I, I didn't realize he, he was. I didn't know yes, that. He, did. he was a major, yeah, yeah, he was a major major um, partner in the Cleveland Indians back in the. 40s and 50s. Yeah. That he was. So I did so not Ernie know. Hud- I did not know. Yeah. yeah, Ernie Hudson. He was another one. Was that before Ghostbusters? I, I've actually met him, and I, I actually he had given me his cell phone number, and I, I remember I met him, and then I lost my phone on the airplane, and I oh, that was always my biggest regret is that I didn't I did I lost his phone number, <laughs> so I've been no, wanting worked, to reconnect with, with him Ernie. for years. I worked with Ernie. After Ghostbusters, uh, he was sent to me by a client of mine named Beverly, at the time, Beverly Todd, a wonderful actress um, who I've known forever. She won't let me tell you how long I know her, but she was one of the most successful um, <laughs> models in New York. And we did very well together. She starred, uh, she starred with Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, she starred with Morgan Freeman in The uh, Bucket List. Uh, really wonderful actors, and Ernie uh, Beverly introduced me to Ernie, and I worked with him for a while. But one of the one of the people that I loved working with up until recently, and one of the reasons I'm in Atlanta, is to um, just a slight correction on your opening bio. We have not made the Ernie Banks movie yet. We were getting ready to make it, and then everything in here. That's what I moved. But my client at the time, Lou Gossett Jr., who just called me while we were uh, on this call. Um, is going to play Ernie. Uh, is going to play Ernie Banks in his latter years in the movie. So Lou and I worked together for years. We did, you know, a lot of good things together, and he's considered a real good friend. Thank you for that correction. Yeah, and so with what what does the future look like for you? Because we're let's see, we've got about mm, seven minutes, maybe maybe only five okay. or six. Uh, so what's the future look like for you? Well, I made a decision to close my managing company after 43 years. I figured that was enough. And um, I've been asked to be one of the producers on this film that I helped uh, in the beginning put together by bringing Lou to, Lou to the project and other people. So I moved here, and we were supposed to start the movie, and then you know what happens. I mean, we're all sitting here waiting to go to work. So while I'm here, <clears throat> and I've literally moved here, um, I'm a resident here, I'm developing this other project called The um, Odyssey of Bobby Summers, which is a wonderful uh, story about a a young 12-year-old boy uh, who's on a journey um, to correct something on his own, and it's fabulous. And now I'm developing uh, a one-man show I'm going to direct for a friend of mine about the story of his mother's life. Brilliant. And I'm working with a new uh, group of... uh, people in LA who have written 10 scripts, which I'm reading now, and I'm going to be a partner in that company and try to get them made. So I'm pretty busy right now, considering there's nobody's working. You know, I'm reading a yeah. lot, reading a lot. <laughs> yeah. But I've made, yeah, a decision. Caught up and... I've made, a, I've yeah. made a decision that, that I want to uh, produce. And then I pulled out of the draw a, a movie I wrote um, 16 or 17 years ago that I've just done a, re, a, a polish on that I'm going to, finally put my foot to the ground on because it's my uh, a really important movie and that's next so that's what I'm up to I'm just reading and getting ready to wait for the business to reopen so I can go find some um, investors and, and funding and, and get these movies made the Ernie Banks movie is ready oh. to go I'm just a producer on that that's already funded but the other ones I'm Michael, going out and looking for investments now yeah. in the next month in the next month or so, I'm planning on going up to Atlanta to celebrate getting my Ph.D. So when I get up there, I will definitely make sure that we connect and get together. Muzzle and Ph.D. in what? In entrepreneurship. Oh, how beautiful. And where are you living now? Where do you live now, Nina? Fort Myers, Florida. Oh, I love Fort Myers, Florida. My, my, my very dear friends. Uh, the Walkins, Christopher and his two brothers and parents, 
owned a house on the Captiva. Oh, beautiful place. Beautiful place. Oh, yeah. Loved it. It burns, it fell to the ground in a hurricane, but I grew up, you know, knowing about Captiva. So I love Fort Myers. So that's great. Come on up and let me know when you're coming and we'll hang out. That'd be fabulous. I will definitely do that. Terrific. I uh, hope I've been able to answer some questions for you, Andrea. And and you've um, been amazing, Michael. I get it. I'm a little yeah. long in the tooth when I get. You know, these are such great memories for me. I have such a vivid memory, thank God. And I've had such extraordinary experiences that uh, after we do the ebook, I'm going to do a documentary about my life too. It's very very exciting. Well, that's people. one of the reasons. I wanted you to talk a little more and explore a little more because I could hear the stories come out and I, I enjoy bringing those out of people. And I'm really glad to hear you're going to do a documentary because that I have had a passion for documentary since I was a young girl. I used to watch PBS all the time and I hear such beautiful heart in these stories behind everyone. And I love who you, how you represent like the, I love how you brought Gina often is quiet on the show and, and I'm often texting her going, Hey, do you want to jump in? So I love that you also encourage her to speak up because I love her insight and her, um, what she has to say. And so I love that you also put her on the spot and brought her out even more because she's amazing and awesome. And I love having her, uh, this is actually her show and she brought me on um, as an executive producer several years ago and when her co-host oh, had something else going on she brought me on so I, I love I love how you did that and brought her into it and so she can well, share I'm her beautiful I'm, stories I'm looking forward to meeting her and the, the connection with Perry Como is so beautiful that I really want to make sure that David knows that you've been talking to the guy who played him when he was 10, 11, 12 years old <laughs> Well, I will pass awesome. that on Super just awesome. as soon as Bill gets home tonight. And what I will do is Mike- I will I will email um, Andrea the picture of me and Perry and um, uh, and the kids, and you can forward that to uh, to his granddaughter. Okay. I will Absolutely. make that happen. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. You're Thank you, Michael, for joining us today. Um, do you have a, a website that we can go uh, look at, or do we need to just go to the IMBD? Um, the best way to reach me, uh, I don't really, I, you know, I never was out there trying to promote myself because most of the business I did was in, you know, by recommendations and stuff. So I wasn't ever out soliciting for clients. People always referred. So I never just had the need to, to put a website together. I guess I should. But if people want to reach me at all uh, for inquiries or stuff, uh, not for representation, I'm not looking to represent anybody. I can give you an email address that they can they can um, they can email thing, questions to me or any, any things about my project. All right, so let me give that to you now. Uh, it's M M M is in Michael, G is in girl, M is in Michael, T is in Thomas, four two, which is the year I was born, at gmail dot com. So M M M G M T is an abbreviation for Michael Man Management. MMMGMT42 at gmail.com. And if I can be of help to anyone or if anybody's interested in knowing about my projects, I'd be happy to communicate with them. It'd be my pleasure. Okay. Well, Michael, and if I can we ever should give... help you get a website put together, we'll talk about that it. That would be great. In a couple weeks. You, you got it. You got it. I'm looking forward to meeting you. Andrea, thank you so much for your time. I hope this was helpful. And, uh, Let's communicate a little later today, okay? Yes, and we need to give a shout-out to Barry Shore. Uh, Barry Shore Absolutely. is the reason that we met, and he is the originator of the Keep Smiling Cards and a co-founder with Ken Rashawn. I'm the executive director of the Keep Smiling Movement, which allowed us to have Michael Mann here with us today on Leverage Masters with Gina gaudio Thank you, and Barry. Andrea Adams-Miller. Right, and, and Barry, Barry, Barry and I, have been friends, um, his son and my children all grew up together in Venice, California. I know him for over 40 years and one of the true great people of all time. So I love him. I love him dearly. He is an amazing guy. We've had him on the show before. I love Barry. So thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Thank you, Andre, for making this happen. My pleasure. My pleasure. And we'll be in touch real soon. Thanks for your time, ladies. Be well. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Have a fantastic week, everybody.
Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.